Hey, before we jump right in, I have a couple of things I want to share with you. Um, first, uh, Jill Bilheimer is helping out with the New to You thrift store. We are, uh, yeah, you're excited? You go there a lot? Yeah, all right, good. <laughs> um, we, we need some help, really. In this time of year, all the garage sales, people are bringing things over, and the, the back area is overwhelming when it comes to the donations, which is really, really good. It's either, it's either feast or famine sometimes, but we're in the feast time, and we need to get that stuff. We need to get the mountain down and out on the floor. So we're going to need people throughout the next couple of weeks to help us out with uh, a massive inside cleaning of the place and also kind of going through the stuff and getting it out on the floor. So if you'd be interested in helping, please make sure that you stop at the table here, the ministry table, and talk to Jill and sign up, and then she'll coordinate with you and your schedule to see when we can get some people together and do that. So we need a lot of people. We need a lot of help over the next couple of weeks, and we could really, really use you. And uh, so just sign up out here with Jill. Also, Scott and Laura, why don't you come up? I want to introduce Scott and Laura. Um, they are in charge of our young adults group, and I wanted them to introduce themselves and just talk a little bit about the group and uh, what's coming up. Where's the mic? Good morning. My name's Scott Arnold, and this is my lovely wife, Laura. And like Jeff said, we're uh, facilitating leading um, the 20 to uh, 30-something-year-old uh, group, um, single, married, or anything in between. Um, we'd like you to be a part of that. And we just wanted to come up this morning, introduce ourselves. So you, we'll, we'll be out there after the first service that you come shake our hand and um, ask us questions or ha- have any ideas that you'd like um, for us to help you with. And that would be great. And my wife is going to explain the next activity. So kind of what we're thinking through the summer, just to get to know each other, we're just going to kind of do activities. And then once the fall starts, we'll start some sort of Bible study. Um, Our next activity is next Sunday. We're going to meet after second service right out here. And uh, we're going to be driving to the church's property out in Camden to go zip lining. It's $10 a person. Uh, We're going to cook out food and just hang out there all day. It should be a lot of fun. So um, if you're interested in coming, you can always let us know today or you're welcome to email or call. I think our numbers are in the bulletin. So look forward to meeting you. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Another life group, which is really good. Um, And come on, you don't want to miss the zip lining, right? (laughs) And it's great because it's it's a great group for, like we said, singles or for marrieds who are in that age group just to connect with each other. It's been amazing this past summer. I have to be honest. This summer has been one of the best summers we've ever had here at church. I, for me, it's been the best. Um, the church is growing over the summer. The giving is, is doing well over the summer. We're able to accomplish so many projects. We'll be finished with this back area probably within the next two weeks. By the end of next week, most of it should be done. That's going to be a great area for adult Sunday school classes, for women's ministry, for men's ministry, a place where about 50 people can hang out. We'll have some flat screens on the wall that you can use for your Bible study. So it'll be a great, we, we have a lot of big rooms at Grace Chapel, soccer fields and all that kind of thing, but not a lot of medium-sized rooms. So that'll be great for, for that area. And also we're hopefully going to be finishing up this area in the next two weeks as well, uh, next two to three weeks with the landscaping and all of that going on. So, you know, if people have missed this summer, they're going to come back and they're going to be kind of shocked with all the things that we've gotten accomplished. It's been really, really exciting. All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We started on this last week. We were in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to read that to you again, and it'll be up here on the screen as well. Um, 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now, this was the foundation of what we were talking about last week. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look, should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Now, you know, I was thinking about it this week and I watched the culture of our country. I watched the church culture and. We're going through a series called Great to Good, and I'm, I'm challenging you guys as much as I possibly can. I'm, 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 ta- I'm picking topics that are, I'm not trying to avoid any topics. I'm actually picking topics that many people try to avoid. And again, we have the rest of the summer to hit some even more difficult topics. And instead of trying to get up here and, I don't know, go the direction of culture and tickle your ears and make everyone feel really good all the time and, and make sure that everyone, no one gets offended and no one... And I know that's the way we're going culturally, even in our Christian culture and our churches. I just don't think that's the right way to go. Uh, my, my professor taught me at NIAC, what you win people with is what you win them to. And so we're going to continue to go down this road during this series and then throughout the years to come, because I believe that in order for us to make a difference in the world, to truly impact this world, to see people come to Christ, to invest in the lives of orphans and widows and to to have a real influence on our culture, we, we can't be the same as we need to be set apart from. There needs to be a difference. People need to look and say, what on earth do you have that I don't have? Look at what they're doing. That's amazing. I want to be a part of that. Well, when you can't tell the difference between a person who loves the Lord and a person who doesn't, it's very difficult for people to make that distinction. This series is about that distinction. This morning is about that distinction. I truly believe that people want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They want to be a part of something that's amazing. They want to be a part of something that's challenging that helps them to look beyond themselves and grow beyond what they thought they were capable of being and doing. That's what this series is all about. We're not going to shrink back from it this summer, and we're not going to shrink back from it in the years to come. And whatever God wants to do with this church, God is going to do with this church, but it won't be because we compromise or fall back or, or blend in. We will not blend in. We will stand out because we are called by Christ And all the sacrifice he made to be set apart for him. So Philippians chapter 2 kind of gets into this. And during our series, this great to good series, we've been contrasting the ideas, the values of this culture, of, of this world with a biblical worldview. What is a biblical worldview and what are the beliefs of the world in which we live? This morning, I want to finish up our discussion from last week, but with a little bit of a twist. I want us to contrast Alexander the Great with Jesus Christ. 
And the reason I picked Alexander the Great is because he is held up. I read business books about Alexander the Great. I read books on every kind of leadership books on Alexander the Great. And the reason I picked him is because he is an example that is held up by this world as someone that you and I should be following because he's obviously so great. Last week, we said that there are four principles in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, that will help us to reach spiritual maturity. Because that's what God cares about, so that's what I care about. How do we reach spiritual maturity? How do we, how do we walk in the good way? How do we walk the ancient path and stand out from our culture? Philippians chapter 2 helps us in this endeavor. Here in Philippians chapter 2, it it teaches us to be servant leaders, to be leaders, but to be servant leaders. What is the difference between what the world calls a leader, a brilliant strategist, if you will, Alexander the Great, or or a a great leader from their perspective? What What does it look like? What does it look like for us to be set apart? What does it look like for us to be a servant leader? Jesus Christ was a servant leader. So what is the difference between what they're holding up as leadership and what the Bible holds up as pure leadership? The first, the first principle was being a servant means that we have to give up our rights for the good of others. That was last week. We need to give up our rights for the good of other people. Now I want to look at the second principle. Being a servant means considering others better than yourselves. Man, this is tough. Just that, think about that. Consider others better than yourself. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote this, A great man is always willing to be little. I like that. A great man is always willing to be little. In verse 7, it says that Jesus was God and he took on the flesh of humanity and made himself nothing. He was God, taking on the very nature of a man, the flesh of a man, and he says he made himself nothing. History tells us that Alexander was a man and then believed that he was a God. He's simply a man and he thought he was a God. Alexander desired to be the king of all kings and to dominate this world. In Western culture, Alexander is held up as the man who, who really conquered the Persian Empire. Really, the, the known world at that time. So he conquered the known world. He marched on it. He conquered it. He took over. What he was able to accomplish from a, from a uh, military, from the world's perspective, he was a military genius. The guy was a military genius. He was brilliant when it came, when it came to military strategy. So I, I don't want to dispute his military prowess, though his father built a large part of his army. His dad did that. But I want to challenge his motives in heart, his motives and heart in achieving his goals. Because that's really important. You know, you can hold someone up and say, oh, look at this guy. He is so rich or this guy's so powerful. That guy's so famous or this person's so whatever. But in order to be a person who who is worthy of being followed, you need to ask the question, what kind of man or what kind of woman am I following? Who am I trying to be like? Who am I trying to, to emulate? The influence of Greek language and culture has really helped establish a narrative in, 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 the, in, our, in the West, if you will, for Alexander's invasion of, 
uh, the east, how he basically took over. And basically the idea is that, the, that, that his invasion was the first of many crusades, if you will, to, to, bring, to bring culture, to bring civilization to the, uh, to the uncivilized and barbaric east. So he's doing him a favor. He was doing him a favor when he invaded all those people and did all he did. He was doing him a favor because they're barbaric and uncivilized. And the reason he did that is because he brings culture in there. Um, but let's look a little below the surface. In reality, the Persian Empire was an incredible... Uh, it, was, it was basically worth conquering. Okay, This was worth conquering. Not because it needed civilization or culture, but because it was an incredible prize, if you will. It was, an, it was an incredible prize. It was the most powerful nation, the most powerful empire the world had ever seen up until that point. One of the most powerful empires the world had ever seen. It, it stretched from, from Central Asia to, to, to Libya. This was huge. This was a rich, powerful empire. Persia was an incredibly rich reward. It was an incredibly rich prize. One could argue he wasn't bringing as much as he was taking. When you conquer something like that, you take more than you give. Again, I'm looking at motives here for why he would expand. Jesus, on the other hand, influenced culture by influencing the people around him. He was able to influence the cultures of the world by investing in, by building into the people around him who then went out and influenced the rest of the world. So Jesus influenced culture by influencing the people around him. He was the greatest leader who ever lived. Let me tell you why. With his words and without a powerful army to back him up, he changed the entire planet. Jesus Christ changed the entire planet with his words and how he lived. And without some massive army behind him, forcing people to go along with what he was teaching. He was the greatest leader who ever lived. Look at verse 7 again. It says, he made himself nothing. Some translations say he emptied himself. He poured himself out. We talked about this last week, that he restrained his deity and took on the very nature of a servant. Jesus Christ was God. Jesus Christ could have snapped his fingers and taken over everything. The world would have been a joke for him to take over. But he restrained his deity. He was God in human flesh. But he restrained his deity and took on the nature of a servant. Alexander left home to seek out power and greatness for himself. Jesus left his home in heaven. He left his home in heaven for the smell of a stable. He left the company of his heavenly father of the heavenly father for the company of men. He who was limitless took on the limitations of humanity. Jesus was limitless, though and he restrained his deity and took on the limitations of humanity. He, he, who, he went from robes to rags. He went from streets of gold to dusty paths. He went from the voices of angels to the screams of angry mobs. He went from, he went from praises to mockery. That's what Jesus went through. Alexander left home to conquer the world, to bring greatness and power 
to himself. Jesus left his home. And what a painful road it was from heavenly glory. From true heavenly glory to an earthly cross. That's what Jesus experienced. That's what the Son of God, that's what Jesus Christ experienced. He left community with his Father to dwell amongst us. This is at the heart, my friends, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ right here. This is at the heart of what it means to walk in the good way, to walk on the ancient path. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to truly follow after Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, this was the man that we follow, gave up everything to become a servant, serve those around him. Alexander, on the other hand, took... And abused and destroyed. You know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? You know what it means to walk in the good way? It, it, it means that we need to, that we, that we need to put the, the other, other people before us. It means the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It means that when, when we go through hardships, we consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds. It means that we sacrifice for the good of others. It means that we love our enemies. It means we are kind to those who are not kind to us. These are the things that we, that we need to talk about in our churches. These are the things that Jesus lived for. This is how he lived. This is the example that he set for us. Instead of taking, we give. Instead of expecting to receive all the time, our heart should be to give and to serve other people. That is at the heart of great to good. That's what we're talking about. The contrast here. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Love your enemies. You have to lose your life to gain it. This is what Jesus taught. It's the opposite of what the world teaches us. But it will give us the best life. This is the best life that we can live. Alexander didn't sacrifice himself for other people. He sacrificed other people for himself. He wanted to be great. And so he sacrificed other people for himself. He was ruthless and he was psychotic. Jesus was obedient to the Father to the point of death. Alexander may have set up the assassination of his father. They don't really know. But to tell you the truth, it doesn't take a mental genius to figure out that Alexander wanted to be king. Someone was in Alexander's way. They got killed. So his father is dead. Now Alexander is the king. Jesus was obedient to his father to the point of his own death. Alexander may have assassinated his own father. Alexander killed any possible threats, any possible rivals to the throne. Killed them all. Brothers, all of them. Killed anybody who was possibility of a rival. Jesus came to die for his rivals, to save his rivals. Alexander was brutal to anyone who stood in his way. Jesus was compassionate to those who stood in his way. Someone stood in Jesus' way. He wasn't a milk toast. He didn't get pushed around. 
But Jesus Christ had compassion for those people. Instead of, instead of just taking the city of Thebes, Alexander burned it to the ground and slaughtered its inhabitants. And if you were a Greek, if you were one of his own, you were a Greek and you fought, fought against him, there was no mercy given to you. Merciless. You dared, if you dared stand in the man's way, you were slaughtered. Jesus shed his blood. He shed his blood for others. While Alexander, Alexander shed the blood of others for himself. Jesus Christ shed his blood for other people. Came God, shed his blood for other people. Alexander shed other people's blood for, him, for himself. There, there's a story. There's a story that, that we, they, they, uh, they have in, in history of Alexander. He goes into a town. He, he did this probably multiple times. He would go into a town and he would slaughter everyone in the town. Everyone. Men, women, and children didn't matter. He slaughtered the entire town because he had a purpose in it. Because he was a military genius, you know. He was, he was a genius. He was brilliant. And so he thought in his brilliant mind, I'm going to slaughter every single person in town except for maybe one or two people. I'm going to leave those people almost half dead, send them on to the next town to threaten the next town. If they even if they try to defend themselves, the same thing's going to happen to them that happened to this town. What a brilliant strategy. Somebody I really, boy, I wish I could be like him. If Alexander was great, my friends, I'd rather be good. If Alexander was great, I would rather be good. The third principle, Philippians chapter 2, is being a servant means being obedient whatever the cost. You be, we're obedient following Jesus Christ. Being a servant means I'm obedient whatever it costs me. Alexander wanted to conquer the world at whatever the cost. That's what mattered. I need to conquer the world no matter what it costs them. He was responsible for the death of tens of thousands of his own men and of the slaughter of the people that he conquered. He slaughtered many of them. Many of them. How dare they even stand up to him? It would tick him off. He would be enraged if people stood up to him and he would slaughter the people that he conquered when he was in those battles. How great is a king who would prefer constant warfare to peace? or whose violent temper was so bad that he killed many of his friends, even his best friend in a fit of rage, drunken rage, he killed his best friend. And as time went on, as he went forward, the end of his life, he was an alcoholic, paranoid megalomaniac who thought he was God. Look at the world around you. Every person who considers themselves to be a God does basically the same thing. They crush, they kill, they destroy, they abuse. Once they think that they're all, well, they have that kind of power, Alexander thought he was in the line of Achilles. He was in the direct, he was a direct descendant of Achilles. So therefore, you know, he was just unbelievable. And he went about his life that way. And he made sure everyone else thought of him that way. And if you didn't think of him that way, whether you're friend or foe, you ended up pretty much dead. Look at verse 8. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, this is talking about Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. See, now we got to, please, everyone get your thinking caps on, your spiritual thinking caps. I, I don't think we could possibly 
um, I don't think we truly understand the depth of this verse. I don't think we understand when we read it sometimes the intensity of what God is trying to tell us here. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The creator of humanity, the one who knows our motives and our hearts, humbles himself and allows these same men who he knows their hearts and their motives to execute him. And not to execute him in just any way, to execute him in, by, by crucifixion. Crucifixion was, was saved for the lowest class of people because it was the, it was the, the lowest form of, of, of execution you could have. It was brutal. It was horrible. We talked about it during Easter. It was the lowest form of execution. But Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the real King of Kings, and Lord of Lord, Lord of Lords, humbles himself and allows himself to be put to death in this way. The one who created humanity, the one who knows the motives of men's hearts, allows those same men to put him to death by crucifixion. You need to understand, in, in, in Jesus' day, people didn't wear crosses as jewelry. You didn't have a cross tattooed on your arm or on your back. The Philippians and in, in, in the, the Philippians in their mindset, this was this was if you got crucified by crucifixion, it was the lowest. You were the lowest on the social totem pole. You couldn't get any lower than that. If they crucified you, you were the lowest. But Jesus was obedient to death, even death on a cross. The true nature of a servant, the true nature of a servant was revealed on the cross. The true nature of Jesus Christ, his love for us found its ultimate expression in crucifixion. That's how much he loved us. I mean, but you have to think about this. Think about every other person in the world when they think themselves to be, when they have the ability, when they have the power. What do they do with that power on this earth? They cause misery and suffering. Jesus Christ had all the power, but he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He allowed himself to go through the humiliation of being stripped naked and hung on a cross. His love found its ultimate expression in crucifixion. On the other hand, Alexander the Great crucified thousands of people. Entire, when he, when he, when he conquered that, air, that, that city, he was, I, I guess, in, in, enormously uh, um, perturbed that they would base, fight against him. And so he killed all the fighting, pe- all the fighting men. They were killed. But then, just, to, just to, because he was furious at the whole thing, he crucified 2,000 civilians along the Mediterranean on the beach. Crucified them. 2,000 people. Not people who were fighting. No one had a sword in their hand. These were civilians. He crucified 2,000 people. Jesus came to earth to give himself for us to die at our hands because that's what it took to redeem us. He sacrificed himself 
on a cross because that is what it took to redeem us and to bring us back into a right relationship with God. Servant to the end. Sacrifice to the end. There is nothing that he could that he could ask of us that he has not already given and sacrificed himself. He cannot ask us to give beyond what he's done for us already. You think, well, if I have, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, well, my friends are going to think this of me. Or when I go back to school and I stand up for what I believe, my friends may think this, my friends may think that. Well, let me just be honest with you. He cannot ask you to do more and give more than he's already done and given for us. He was our example. He set the example. And he wants us to follow that example. We can never, never humble ourselves as much as he was humbled and humbled himself. But we need to go where he calls us to go. We need to do what he asks us to do. That is at the heart. And everyone said, amen. Everyone said, but not everyone. Because sometimes here's what we think. People, we, will set boundaries around how much we will serve Jesus Christ. How much we will give back to God. We set boundaries. Uh, uh, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll go anywhere, but. Lord, I'll do anything, but. Lord, I'll give anything, but. You see, if we say that we'll serve God anywhere, but we throw in the boundaries, that's not really serving God. That's not true servanthood. A true servant doesn't have selective boundaries. If you have selective boundaries, that's not true servanthood. That's not true sacrifice. That's not true obedience. True discipleship means obedience whatever, whenever, and wherever he asks. That's what we're talking about here. He has given so much for us. If we follow his example, my friends, we can change the world. You say, but our church is in five or 10,000 people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we have a God who came to earth and sacrificed himself to set a path for us to follow. If we follow him, if we walk in the good way, if we follow the ancient path, we will do all that they were able to do. Jesus said, you can do even greater things than these when I go to the Father. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ said to us, my people will do even greater things than they've seen me do when I go to the Father. I will be with the Father. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We have the power of the resurrection living in us. We need to hold on to those truths and live them out because we have one who has gone before us and set the example for us to follow. Ernest Hemingway said this. He wrote this. When you love, you wish to do things for you wish to sacrifice for. You wish to serve. You wish to serve. If we love him, we need to wish to serve, to give to him, to sacrifice for him. If we love him, we will give of ourselves. Romans talks about offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Jesus Christ came to earth and sacrificed himself. He died on a cross, was raised again. He died for us. We need to live for him. We need to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Not compromised and wimpy and mediocre for God, but holy and pleasing to God. Offering up our bodies as living sacrifices. I exist 
I breathe, I think I do for him. And he has the best plan for my life. And if I follow after him, there's nothing I can't accomplish. What can stop me? What can stop us? The enemy? No. Greater is he that is in us. God's not going to stop us because he's the one who called us to do it. The only thing he can stop us is us. The fourth principle we find in these verses is being a servant means we will be rewarded. Look at verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God exalted himself to the highest place and gave himself the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ gave his life in service to others, and he was exalted to his rightful place. He lived a perfect, obedient life. And he was exalted to his rightful place. Here's the cool thing. This principle applies to God's people as well. It applies to us as well. Now, obviously, we're not God. We're not going to be in the same place as Jesus. But the principle of reward applies to us as well. If we live lives that are obedient to God, we will be rewarded for that. In Matthew chapter 23, in verse 12, it says, For those who exalted themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who humble themselves. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. If we follow his lead, God will lift us up. We will be exalted. We will be rewarded for living that kind of life. We will have what everyone else in this world longs for and cannot have because they don't even know what they're chasing after sometimes. We will have peace. We will have joy. We will have contentment. We will have happiness in our lives. But we need to follow after him. This Christ-like attitude of, of serving others instead of serving yourself, of putting others before yourself, of, of considering others better than yourselves, of giving rather than receiving, needs to be at the heart of everything we do in our lives, my friends. Listen, it needs to be everything we talked about this summer, what we talked about the last couple weeks, this needs to be at the heart. Please, listen, these aren't just theological concepts I'm up here talking about, and you know, now you're a little smarter, now you know a little bit more about the Bible. That's all good. You have, your, you have the knowledge, okay? But here's what I want you to do. I want you to apply that knowledge. And that knowledge, this knowledge needs to be applied to every single area of your life. It needs to be applied to every area. It speaks of how we treat the waitress in our favorite restaurant. How we interact with the person at the grocery store. It speaks to how we treat our family members, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your children. Those around you, your friends. It speaks to us on how we're supposed to run our businesses, how we're supposed to act as employees, how we interact with those that we work with on a regular basis. It speaks to every single area of our lives. That we would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, that we would put others before ourselves, that we would, we would give of ourselves for the needs of those around us. It speaks to every single area of our lives. Do you really... Do you really want to follow Alexander 
when it comes to how you're running your family? Do you want to to follow Alexander when it comes to how you treat your friends? If I were your friend and you want to do that, I wouldn't want to be your friend for very long. Do you really want to run your, honestly, business people, men and women, do you really want to follow Alexander when it comes to running your business? When we sacrifice for others, God promises that he will bless, that he will honor, that he will reward our love and our humility. God will honor that love. God will honor that heart. And you know what? Here's the bottom line. Even if you're not as rich as you would have been, even if you're not as famous as you would have been, even if you're not as powerful as you would have been, is that really? Is that Because my friends, just look at the news. Fame, power, money. Though you get to the top, and like Lee Iacocca said, there's nothing there. Maybe you would. Maybe your company would have been larger if you would crush everyone around you. I mean, you get that Alexander the Great kind of mindset when it comes to business. And that person, even if they don't cross you, it doesn't matter. Cross them and crucify them, baby. Don't worry about it. It's that. It's not personal. It's just business. It isn't personal. It's just business. Crush them. Kill them. Destroy them. Run them out of business. It doesn't matter what happens to their family. It doesn't matter what happens. Don't worry about it. Because you'll be on top. You'll show them. And when it comes to running your family, you're in charge. Someone gets out of line, baby. You know how to handle that, right? You're a great leader. You're a great leader. You make sure everyone knows who's in charge in your life. Show no mercy. Anybody gets in your way, anybody gets in your way, don't you forgive those people who harmed you. Alexander wouldn't forgive me. Crucify him on a beach in the Mediterranean. Don't you, give, don't you dare give them any kind of mercy or grace or love or compassion. You just hold on to that bitterness. You just drink that poison and hope the other guy dies. You just keep living that kind of life and see how it turns out for you. Right? That's the kind of life that Alexander, that's the kind of life that Alexander promises to those who would follow after him. Here's the thing. The question we need to answer this morning is, which man would you rather emulate? Jesus Christ and Alexander the butcher died about the same age, 33 years old. He died at 33, according to most of the things that I read. Some said 32, right at the end of his 32nd year. Most people said 33. So they died, they died, both died at 33 years old. Alexander ruled through fear and intimidation. Jesus led through love and through mercy. Alexander kept 365 women in his harem. Jesus Christ showed grace to all women, even prostitutes, and he taught them how to live a new life 365 days a year. That is the difference, my friends. Jesus expressed kindness, love, and compassion to children. Alexander expressed lust and abuse to younger boys. That's how he lived his life. Alexander died on a throne. Jesus lives on the throne. Alexander shed the whole world's blood. Jesus shed his blood for the whole world. Therein lies the difference. Alexander won the entire world in life and lost everything in death. Jesus Christ lost his life in this world so that he could win the whole world 
through faith and through grace and through his loving compassion. Alexander conquered every throne. Jesus Christ conquered every grave. Alexander enslaved men and women. Jesus Christ set men and women free. If Jesus, if, if Alexander is considered great in the eyes of this world, then I would rather be good. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time that we can spend together. And God, we want to follow you. We want to look to you for leadership, for how to run our families, how to run our businesses, how to be good employees, how to be good friends, how to be good people. And Lord God, for all of us, I pray, if greatness comes at that cost, if that is what greatness is in the mind of this world, then we would rather be good. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have an awesome week.